The GOP field has more than doubled in recent weeks. Do any of these candidates have a chance of beating Donald Trump, or are they mostly running for the VP nod? Then, CNN leader Chris Licht is out following the controversial Trump town hall. We'll give you the rundown of what this means for the network and for the fight for unbiased news generally. We'll then review some puzzling developments in the House that signal trouble for McCarthy. Could the Speaker lose his job? There's an anti-vaxxer polling at 20% in the Democratic primary. We'll help you make sense of the candidacy of RFK Jr. And finally, you may not have heard, but border crossings are down since Biden lifted Title 42. The right wing isn't interested in making Biden look competent, but we want to make sure you don't miss this story. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason. Well, I'm, I'm here from dystopian New York. It, at the outside, it looks like an Instagram filter over here. It's it's quite scary. Um, yeah, what is happening? There's like this haze. There's just uh, wildfires up in Canada, and I don't know how... Like, I don't know how the earth works, really, uh, but <laughs> yeah. it, it looks uh, like yellow. Yeah. It honestly looks like those old, you know, back in the day when Instagram first came on. Like, that's what the entire city looks like. People are walking around with masks outside, not just because they're they're liberal, um, <laughs> you know, stringent COVID people, but they're basically you can't breathe outside. So it's, it's a little wild. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's like... It, it many other times in our lives, this would be a big deal, and it's still a big deal. But it's like we're just so used to weird we're things adaptable. happening now. Humans are yeah. adaptable, uh, and yeah. so um, let's, let's start with some, uh, you know, a, a group of, I guess, some adaptable humans here, which is the GOP <laughs> yeah, well, field. Good transition. Uh, so, you know, perhaps the most adaptable human being is Mike Pence, who was able to somehow survive an entire term as vice president to Donald Trump. We have this huge now and growing GOP field. And I think up until this week, most of the people running in this field were largely, I think, running to be vice president. Like you started, mm -hmm. you saw people unwilling to truly go full frontal and attack Donald Trump. Interestingly, the former vice president seems to have gone about as aggressive as anybody, save maybe Christie, who we'll get to in a second. And actually, you know, whether he, we'll get to whether he's he has any genuine ground to stand on, but he actually did stake out a position uh, in contrast to Donald Trump explicitly. Let's go. And to this, this just clip. happened like a few minutes ago, yeah, right? Like literally minutes before okay. we went on air. So let's go to this okay. clip. January 6th was a tragic day in the life of our nation. But thanks to the courage of law enforcement, the violence was quelled, and we reconvened the Congress the very same day to complete the work of the American people under the Constitution of the United States. As I've said many times, on that fateful day, President Trump's words were reckless. They endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol. But the American people deserve to know that on that day, President Trump also demanded that I choose between him and the Constitution. Now voters will be faced with the same choice. I chose the Constitution, and I always will. Hmm. Pretty so, good speech. I don't. A couple of years I late. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how to treat this stuff. It's like, yes, the words he's saying are mostly true, and I agree with some of it. Um, the whole he chose the Constitution thing, like he certainly did on on that day. There are a lot of days where he did not choose the Constitution. 
And he's been rather back and forth about his legacy of being a part of that administration. But I do think it's notable that you have him, Mike Pence, running and he's able to utter Trump's name. Like you could, like yeah. in so many of these situations you have, you know, here's what happens, Jason. You'd be like, hey, do you do you think the election was stolen, Jason? And do you think Trump was wrong to say the election was stolen? And you'll say, look, can, like can any, I, can I, anybody can who's saying- Can I try saying, the answer? Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I try? It's like, it's yeah. like, look- uh, there clearly are a lot of people who feel that way, and we have to respect that so many people think that's the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Or or you'll be like, even if you think it's wrong, you'll be like, hey, anybody who says the election was stolen is wrong. And you'll be like, are you saying Donald Trump is wrong? <laughs> right, you'll be like, listen, right. anybody who says that yeah. is just incorrect. And yeah. so, so at least he's willing to utter his name. Now, Chris Christie, who, let's be honest, has n neither of these guys has a chance of winning. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I've, we've been wrong before. We've been wrong two weeks ago. But, like, would be very surprised if Chris Christie won the nomination. But Chris Christie came in even more hot. Uh, let's look at this first video of his announcement or his announcement tour. If you think for one minute when he says, I am your retribution, if you think he wants to be your retribution, forget it. He's going to be retribution for one person and one person only, himself. And all the things he's angry about and all the ways he thinks he got snookered. Well, if that's the kind of president you want, let me tell you, no one can compete with him. He's the runaway winner. But if you want somebody who's actually going to fight for you, I would suggest to you that's not the right choice. Yeah, the problem for Christie is he too has been all over the place, and he was a groveling sycophant until he realized mm -hmm. that Trump just wanted to humiliate him and had no interest in having him participate in any meaningful way in the administration. If you remember, he, you know, created this whole transition that Trump just basically discarded because of Lord knows what, right? And mm -hmm. so it reminds me even of Romney, who I think. Yeah, I was gonna, that's you know, what I was gonna say. Right, like you know, of all the people, I think Romney deserves a lot of credit compared to almost every other Republican who had any power in standing up to Trump. He voted for impeachment. He called out Trump. Now, even he, when when faced with the possibility of becoming Secretary of State, you know, there's remember that that photo of him no, um, at dinner. You right know, at the just, dinner. Just, yeah, he, and, just, and Romney looks like he looks like a guy who understands what's who in that moment understood what was happening when they took the picture right. it was like he was like oh i walked into a trap you know right. <laughs> terrible but so has yeah. anybody asked either of them yet i assume the answer is no like so if he gets the nomination will you support him because to me that's that's the test here's what here's the answer i'll support the republican nominee for president so yeah. will you Probably will you support right. donald trump i'll support the republican nominee or you'll say look we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get brett to it found there. the picture brett so fast brett. Good for you, brett. <laughs> yeah. look at that's that face yeah. look and like, oh. i think you've got to believe i truly believe that that politics I, I go back and forth between thinking politics corrupts otherwise good people or that it attracts sociopaths and i can't decide between which of the two you've spent more time as an elected official you tell me i mean it can be both right you know yeah. what i mean um every once in a while it turns good people into sociopaths right i mean so it it uh, that's part of the corruption but yeah i i i guess i appreciate that pence is doing that i but i i guess you have to be a little skeptical that he waits till his presidential announcement 
Right. You know? Yeah. And I think it also says a lot about the Republican Party that in both of those cases where the crowds don't seem to be very big, as they're delivering these lines, we're waiting to see if the crowd will applaud. Because even though it's like a hand-picked crowd by them, like, it doesn't feel like there's that many people who are going to go to those events who are going to go and applaud those attacks on Trump from a Republican. It's which means there's not a lot of votes for those guys. Yeah. But well, but can I also say this? Let me give them credit. I have been saying for a while about people like Mike Pence that they they have a, uh, an unwillingness to embrace their their single strategy for winning, right? Their single lane. And this is Pence and Christie both going like well, there's no way we get people who still like Trump. So let's go right. ahead and double down on our on our one way Smart. to do this. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get to Nikki Haley in a bit, but I, I actually think that's the worst strategy, which is this strategy of like trying to like subtly distinguish yourself from Trump without disentangling yourself from his worst elements. Mm-hmm. And you know, basically people like Nikki Haley are trying to bank on the fact that I'm young and people are just going to know I'm young. And she actually won't even explicitly make that argument. Like she'll be like, we just need fresh, bold leadership. Yeah, right, <laughs> it's right. like she will just use euphemisms instead of saying it plainly. Um, let's go to one more clip from Christy where he actually went after Jared and Ivanka, which I appreciated. So let me tell you something, everybody. The grift from this family is breathtaking. It's breathtaking. Jared Kushner and Ivanka Kushner walk out of the White House and months later get $2 billion from the Saudis. $2 billion from the Saudis. You think it's because he's some kind of investing genius? Or do you think it's because he was sitting next to the President of the United States for four years doing favors for the Saudis? That's your money. That's your money he stole. And gave it to his family. You know what that makes us? A banana republic. That's what it makes us. So, he may get 30% again. I'm not sure. Maybe he'll get more. Maybe he'll get less. But let me tell you what he'll know in 2024 that he had no idea of in 2016. He's in for a fight to get it. You know, you know what strikes me about those, the, the difference between Chris Christie talking about this and Pence? Pence looks like a guy who realizes that he needs to say this if he wants to run for president. And it he almost looks pained to say it like he's being he's reading off a teleprompter he's being very careful and clearly they sat around and they came up with those exact words and were like you say this and you don't say anything else and chris christie seems like a guy who has been dying to talk about yes this. yeah <laughs> and <laughs> and and i have more respect for that a for guy sure. who's been like let me go after trump because he somebody needs to yeah, I think we should almost christen a, a, some kind of ranking system. Let's let's talk offline about it in the weeks ahead that we can update every week. And I'm not sure how we'll be ranking people because like how formidable they are as challengers is one thing. Honestly, I think if you took DeSantis's inherent advantages in terms of coming out of the gates with 20% and you grafted on top of it the arguments that Christie's making and his like fearlessness in making them... I think that would be a more winning ticket than either of them independently because I don't think Christie has the base of support right now to run from. 
DeSantis had a solid foundation and, and still does. It actually has a lot of money. The problem is he's not willing to go full frontal on Trump for one reason or another, including on things like what Christie is saying. There's no reason why DeSantis can't say that, too. I don't understand. Like, like if you're DeSantis, yeah. this guy's making fun of your wife. He's making fun of the way you look. He's saying you're weird. You know, it's like he's giving you nicknames. It's like, why not go after him like at his worst vulnerabilities, including vulnerabilities well, that are not politically explosive? Like, it's not like the Republican voters are going to get mad at you for talking about the Saudis. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, no. There's not a big Saudi block in the Republican no. primary. I mean, in, and, the, in the in the senators, there are. Let's be clear. There are, like, there sure, are a yeah, lot yeah. of those people. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. different than the electorate. I I feel like there's there's a decision here for DeSantis, right? Because it, it changes his calculus. Because on the one hand, it means if there's going to be a crew of candidates who are going to go after Trump, that achieves what DeSantis and the the VP candidates want, which is somebody else to do that for them. And then and then if they if if Christie and Pence are able to knock Trump down enough, well then now people are looking for the not Trump Trump candidate, right? And and then maybe they get that. On the other hand, if you don't have everybody in that primary on the same sheet of music about Donald Trump, Donald Trump's going to win that primary. And so that's a yeah. that's a difficult uh, decision for DeSantis. I think on the rating scale, I think we need two separate scales. And I think one is the, you know, which we've sort of been doing, which is ranking them in terms of their chances of uh, actually beating Trump in the, in that primary. And then the second is a, is just a totally separate one, which is uh, how palatable they are to us, which of course is the opposite, right? Because if yep. they're palatable to us, then they are at the bottom of uh, the likelihood of coming out of that primary. But, you know, yep. sort of like the most survivable Republican presidential candidates uh, from our perspective, which would be the opposite of the most likely to win the primary. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a little disappointing, I would say, at this point, both from the perspective of our democracy, which is the most important thing, but also from the perspective mm-hmm. of the enter- entertainment value of this primary, <laughs> that yeah. nobody has been, that DeSantis hasn't been as strong and none of these candidates has been, have been as strong. Not that DeSantis is going to save the democracy, but it would have been good for, for Democrats and for this country to have a slugfest for the nomination. And as we mm-hmm. said, you know, nothing's over yet, but I think this is shaping up and feeling a lot like the last time, which is a bunch of weaker candidates, you know, without the ability to really garner the kind of percentages that you need to win with Trump kind of running away with it. Yeah. The, one thing that I wonder about, though, is like are Pence and Christie, are their camps in touch, right? Is there, if they can develop a, uh, a following for the idea of like anybody but Trump, and can they attract a couple more messengers for that? And then at some point, do they all get behind one? Or at some point, Here's more likely, do they all make a deal with DeSantis and they're all for him? You know? Yeah, I think that's the more likely scenario here. Uh, and I think like you got to remember, these are not one of these people are genuinely ideological. And right. they're not idealistic, like right. This is not some kind of revolution where people band together for the good and like pick a leader because like it's it's for the good of the idea. They're right. there for themselves, and so the minute mm-hmm. Trump bats an eyelash at them and offers them, you know, like the ambassadorship to Botswana or whatever, they're mm-hmm. it, you know. So I think that's the problem here. And you know, somebody who took one of those ambassadorships actually a good segue to her, Nikki Sa- Nikki Haley. Um, she also announced, and she had this interesting back and forth uh, in this interview 
where she was asked about abortion, and I think her answer pretty much sums up everything we need to know about her candidacy. Let's go to this clip. Former President Trump has refused to say whether he believes Russia should win the war. Ron DeSantis referred to Russia's invasion of Ukraine as a, quote, territorial dispute. Um, What do you think of that? I think that that's a mistake that too many have made. That's exactly what got the Europeans in this position with Russia in the first place. And for them to sit there and say that this is a territorial dispute, that's just not the case. To say that we should stay neutral, it is in the best interest of America. It's in the best interest of our national security for Ukraine to win. On Friday, Mr. Trump congratulated Kim Jong-un because North Korea had ascended to a leadership role in the World Health Organization. Were you uncomfortable um, with how Mr. Trump uh, dealt with and how his attitude was towards Kim Jong-un while you worked at the UN? I mean, Kim Jong-un is a thug. There's nothing good or decent about Kim Jong-un. There's no reason we should ever congratulate the fact that they are now vice chair of the World Health Organization. And it goes to the fact that also the World Health Organization is a farce to start with. We saw that during COVID. I am unapologetically pro-life. Having said that, I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice any more than I want them to judge me for being pro-life. I think that there is a federal role for this. But if we're going to do that, you have to be honest with the American people of what it takes to do that. If a six-week ban theoretically came to your desk, would you sign it? But why, why? I will answer that when you answer, when you ask Kamala and Biden if they would agree to 37 weeks, 38 weeks, 39 weeks. Then I'll answer your question. What meaningful steps would you take to prevent mass shootings in soft target areas such as schools? Secure our schools. There should be one point of entry. There should be a law enforcement officer at every school. The reason a lot of these happen, and you mentioned a shooting at the schools, you need to end gun-free zones. Some states have been experimenting with uh, red flag laws. Is that something that you might support? No, I don't trust government to deal with red flag laws. I don't trust that they will that they won't take them away from people who rightfully deserve to have them. The fact that we have gender pronoun classes in the military now. I mean, all of these things that are pushing what a small minority want on the majority of Americans. So <laughs> that was a lot. Yeah, that was more people, I was barking. We got to give people a warning before we I give know. them that much Nikki Haley. Our, our apologies, listeners. So two moves here I want to point out. One is one that we already flagged earlier, which is, hey, do you think like it's wrong that Trump is shouting out Kim Jong-un. Look, we should not be shouting out. I'm like, we're not doing anything, Nikki Haley. (laughs) Trump is is doing it, right? And kind of you were too, because you were like the UN ambassador at the time that this was happening. Yeah. The the second thing here is um, the, uh, I will answer that uh, when you blink. Um, yeah, yeah. which is just a really, t- it's a childish, childish. Well, especially because she's talking to Jake Tapper, not Joe Biden, you know? Right. <laughs> like, right. Uh, but actually that part was really revealing, I thought, because uh, it, it, obviously the where she's claiming that somehow the media doesn't ask the president or vice president about their position on abortion as her way of not answering a question about a federal ban. That obviously by itself is like ridiculous. I don't think we have to spend much time on it. But there's a moment in there that I think demonstrates just how completely the entire dynamic on abortion has changed in terms of the politics in this country. And that is she gave an answer where she she was talking about everybody heard it just now. Um, I don't judge, you know, I'm I'm unapologetically pro-life, but I don't judge anybody for being pro-choice. That is not the kind of thing that we have ever heard in the past, except 
we have heard the inverse over and over again for most of, of you and I's formative years uh, in democratic politics. And it's only stopped in the last few years. Um, and it's been candidates, and I'm sure I did it when I was running, candidates who are pro-choice going out of their way to make sure voters understand that that they respect the views of people who are pro-life, right? And like anti-choice, whatever you want to say. Uh, well, I mean, that's a good example. We stopped saying pro-life and we started saying anti-choice a few years ago. That's kind of when it ended. And, and I can remember John Kerry in a presidential debate talking all about his, his Catholicism and, and really laying out, trying to have his pro-choice position be very palatable to people who didn't share it. And you don't see Democratic candidates do that anymore, anymore. And this is the first time you're seeing Republican candidates have to do the inverse. And I think what that demonstrates is that the country's not with them and they know it. And they're going in apologetically. Right. Yeah, that was... But this gets to hurt. Like, you know, I don't want to play pundit too much, but like... What is all that? Like, if you're even a Republican, you're looking at that. You're like, obviously, if you're a Democrat, there's nothing to see there. If you're right. an independent, there's also nothing to see there because you're not even sure what she believes, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're a Republican, and you're like, well, you're not Republican enough for me. Like, if you're at least a Trump Republican, right? So it's just like, and if you're a That's, true conservative, you're like, well, what the hell is this? Like, what is she it, like? I'm, I just don't get the appeal. Yeah, it's a com. I guess it's a combination of the terrible political place that the Republicans are in on abortion because of the terrible place they've put the country in on abortion, combined with Nikki Haley, unlike Chris Christie, or unlike, um, I don't know, Trump, I guess, refuses to accept that their win scenario is narrow. Right. And, and so she won't, you know, like, she's going in apologetically on abortion by saying, I am unapologetically pro-life. <laughs> it's right. like, it, it's... It's a person who's trying to have everything, and that's how you end up with nothing. Yeah, my sense is here's what I think is going to happen, at least in terms of the media coverage. Uh, Chris Christie and Pence are going to be very popular on MSNBC and CNN yeah. and some of these other places uh, because he is the kind of Republican candidate in the primary that people are going to want to listen to because he'll be ripping Trump. And they might not... be popular on Fox because people like drama and they like right. a fight. There you, you go. Know? Yeah. And it all depends on like what version of Fox we have right now. Mm -hmm. Now, the Newsmaxes and all that kind of stuff are going to continue to put Trump up. Right. And the Daily Wires, the National Reviews, et cetera, are going to continue to flack for some combination of DeSantis Tim Scott, you're seeing a little bit of like love to Tim Scott there because I think people are starting to hedge on DeSantis, which is not a good sign for him. And that's what you're just going to see. Like it's going to be like a splinter. People are going to pick the story they want about this Republican primary. And my sense is when the dust settles, unfortunately, it's not looking great for, for any other scenario than Trump right now unless something really remarkable happens here. So keep I, an eye. I think the X factor is what happens when he gets convicted of something. Right. Yep. If anything, because the chances that he's actually going to be incarcerated between now and the election are not high, given the appeals process. Uh, the chances that he is you know, going to be incarcerated at some point are higher than they used to be. They might be above 50 percent. But I actually had I did this other podcast called Talking Feds the other day with, with Harry Littman, who I think is a former federal prosecutor and, and Jennifer Rubin, who's sort of an expert in this stuff. And we got into talking about well, logistically, what happens when he is incarcerated? Because you really can't put him in prison. And so it became pretty clear that like, if that happens, what he's steering toward is just basically being ordered under house arrest at Trump Tower. And 
he could or govern build, from there. Or you build it, you build something special for him. Yeah. But either way, like you're going to end up in a position where he's going to be able to be like, I'll govern from there. Right. You know, I, you can imagine it. Trump's going to come out and be like, look, I lived in the white house. It's a prison. There's no difference. What did they say the prosecutors about? Like, so you can technically serve if you're in prison. There's well, what everybody said was there's, it's never been addressed by the right. Supreme court that nobody has, that it's an, it's an untested question. And I think when it comes to an untested question, particularly if he's just won the presidential election. Now, it's one thing if it's like, can he run in the Republican primary? I could easily see that even the ones he appointed being like, you know what? This is our opportunity. Let's remove him from the Republican primary. I don't think it's going to happen that early. So if it's once he is the nominee or once he has won the election or whatever, I think they're going to be like, yeah, this is how this works. He's the president. Like, that's what I think happens. And then they, you know, maybe maybe they all just get on board with uh, impeaching and removing him. And then you have a Republican vice president who becomes president. Like, oh, my God. I know. Okay. No, this is real stuff. Whew. All right. Well, let's put a pin in that and say let's enough talk of this GOP primary uh, for today. Uh, obviously, this will be a developing story, as they say in the media business. Just, we will we will monitor it closely. <laughs> I know. I've been saying that in the last debate as if I'm like some kind of like analyst where I'm like just <laughs> I have all these charts on my computer. I, I was like, I was. It like, reminds was gonna... me of a uh, you know because like here in the Midwest, um, you know, especially during the summer, like every few weeks, you got to go down to the basement and then turn on the news. Uh, and uh, it just reminds me of that. It's like, okay, we are monitoring this cell and we will keep you posted. <laughs> I did it yesterday. It a funnel. I did it. I did it as a transition yesterday out of a story on the rise of vasectomies. And I said, well, I'll be monitoring <laughs> this as if I'm going to be like Lexus alerts, like, oh, vasectomies have, have spiked up 10% this month. All right. <laughs> Deep Keep us posted breath. on that. Deep breath. Let's talk about CNN. Look, we don't like to All dance right. on anybody's graves here, but I do think this is important because we've talked about the CNN town hall twice. And you know, like, look, I don't like to see anybody fail, especially anybody who, by all intents and purposes, was genuinely trying to rescue a network that I think no matter what you feel about it has been a part of our lives for a long time. And I mean, I worked you were on it. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, were yeah. on it, you know, and there's this long and very interesting piece in The Atlantic about Chris Licht that came out, I think it was last week. Um, and this is the piece that I think a lot of people are attributing to Licht being fired this quickly. Now, it's it seems like the writing was on the wall that he was going to be fired at some point. And I spent the morning reading this piece, Jason, and essentially what you get is the picture of somebody who is coming into an admittedly struggling network that didn't really have an identity uh under the previous leadership other than insiderness, which is what got them in trouble with Chris Cuomo um, and Zucker and all this kind of stuff. And they also had serious ethical lapses where those two also had Me Too uh, scandals. And then you had some serious people in there, like Jake Tapper, et cetera. But like, it didn't adapt quickly enough to the changing media landscape where people like, you know, our partners here at Midas have been able to garner huge audiences. Like, you know, the Midas guys, like on any given broadcast are, are beating CNN, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you have to adapt to this new environment. They did not adapt fast enough. They didn't have an identity that was sufficiently partisan enough to garner either side of the spectrum 
where Fox News, for instance, was able to at least maintain a certain amount of audience by being disingenuously partisan. But they flirted with being one or the other, right? So they flirted with being like super like anti-Trump at periods of time, but not sufficiently anti-Trump for certain audiences that demand that of them. And then they flirted with being a little bit Fox News-esque, which is all over this piece where they tried to like have Corey Lewandowski on even when he was a paid Trump employee, et cetera. And it's just like they just never quite figured out what they were doing. And the staff basically lost their minds and a lot of them lost their jobs. And now their leader lost his job. And I'm not sure where CNN goes from here. Well, I guess when I think about it, I think about it as a miscalculation of <clears throat> what what the available audience is, right? Because uh, from what I can tell, in the cable news viewing world, there's people who watch Fox, and then there's people who watch something else. Right. And what there's not are people who are like, I watch, you know, unless they're going to go far right of Fox and go watch Newsmax or whatever it's called, then... Uh, you know that's that's one thing, but like if if you're trying to peel people off from Fox, that's uh, probably not going to be successful. And then they're like, well, we don't want it. And in their mind, they're like, well, we don't want to go. We can't go further left than MSNBC. Um, so we're going to like occupy the space in the middle. And just just like candidates find out over and over again, there's not that many people in the middle. There are people who and and the people who are in the middle. There, sometimes there's a decent amount of people in the middle, but they don't watch cable news. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. They're, they're not they're not political hobbyists. They're not consuming it all the time, right? The people who are consuming it all the time, uh, like, are watching Fox or they're watching MSNBC. They used to also sometimes be watching CNN. And so I guess if I had to guess where CNN was going to try to go from here, it would be to recognize that what MSNBC is doing is they are not they're not just being on the left. They're operating in reality, right? They're operating in like the, hey, this is what's really happening in the world, right? But they're put, they are putting a partisan bent on it because they have a lot of opinion folks on there. And so I think if, if you're trying to create a model, it can't be one that's like, we're going to beat MSNBC and Fox. It's got to be like, we're going to try and split, which is what CNN used to be doing. We're going to try and split the not Fox audience. And your strategy has got to be we're going to be like MSNBC. We're just going to be the hard news version of MSNBC. So instead of instead of catering to other views, it's just we're going to lean into doing more investigative work from the perspective that that uh, I don't even want to say that is the left, but that just just is, you know, to quote Mike Pence, choosing the Constitution, <laughs> you know. It's like it's honestly you remember the whole CNN Plus thing. They, they ditched CNN Plus, which is their sort of um, – like uh you know unbundled streaming service streaming service mm -hmm. they just said right before this guy took over so it really wasn't on him but i think it was just a reflection of hey you've got this changing landscape you look at youtube and there's shows and networks like midas and a lot of others who are not as successful but are big enough to chip away at audiences like cnn like msnbc and so the question is well what is the purpose of a cnn or an msnbc or even a fox who's fox is dealing with their own dynamics so that they're more successful at beating these things back but obviously we've caught as we've covered before you know they're under siege too and so the question is like what's the role of a cable news network in the society and i think it's it's almost like the question of what's the role of espn in sports which is like espn mm -hmm. is there for live sports essentially mm -hmm. at this point that's what they're here for and yeah they're going to have their morning shows but whatever but all these other shows are coming for them right yeah and so for cnn i think it's got to be all right big moments like you've got to handle the big moments really well the elections the crises right mm -hmm. 
And then you've got to have something else to offer to your audience, right? And you know, ESPN is a good example of somebody who's like weathered it well. They're like, I think they just purchased uh, Pat McAfee, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. So like, they're they're almost acquiring their competitors, right? Um, and so a smart move for CNN would have been something like what Spotify does, which is they're buying up Dak Shepard. They bought up Rogan, right? Now CNN and Rogan probably wouldn't have been a good fit, but like, find the people that fit your values. Use the, the the tremendous credit worthiness and investment that you have to pull some of those new media players in and create some kind of combination of the two. You know, and they, they kicked Scott Galloway to the side, for example, after the CNN Plus thing. He would have been a good example. Somebody would have been good for this. And so I, I'm hoping that this is what the next generation does because, look, like continue to dominate or do well on the election nights or whatever because people are going to still want to go to you for that. And then mm-hmm. add something else to it, but build a certain amount of irreverence to match your object, the, the work of objectivity that you're trying to do. Well, and and have a different definition of objectivity, right? right. Like, like if you look at Tapper, like people, I guess, have differing views on Tapper, and he's a friend, so maybe I'm biased. But like, I feel like Jake just follows the facts, and that has everybody on the left or everybody on the right being like, "Man, this guy's a huge liberal." And then if you look back at the Obama years. And even now in the Biden years, because he's been critical of some things, there are some people on the left who don't like him. But but he's he's had staying power because people are like, all right, we don't think he's catering to anybody, right? And and that's that's different than clearly what CNN was trying to do strategically, which which was we were gonna make a very strategic move. People can have their differing views on Jake Tapper, but you don't often hear people say that they think Jake Tapper is trying to triangulate to get an no. audience. Like that's that's not what they what they think. And I think what CNN fell victim to here and and that all of cable news can at times fall victim to is something that Claire McCaskill actually mentioned to me, uh, which is that, you know, when people think about cable news, they think about it as having a far greater influence and role than it actually does. But when you look at the actual cable news audience at this point on a given, and this is like Claire's, uh, that's what she does for a living now. She's on MSNBC. And she was saying, if you look at the audience across even the highest rated shows on Fox or MSNBC, it's still a pretty small percentage no. of of voters. But it is sort of this cultural uh, touch point for us. And to go back to your analogy about like sports journalism, it's like very few people get Sports Illustrated anymore. Right. But but if 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 Sports Illustrated puts somebody on the cover it is a huge deal, right? Yeah. So like CNN doesn't have the influence that it used to have, but by choosing to put Trump on in a town hall, it is a huge deal, even if not that many people saw it as compared to even, you know, 2016. And that's that, that's what got him so much scrutiny. Look, you, know, you know, this is like a more far field of what people in our audience care the most about, but the business model is breaking, right? So it's like mm-hmm. there's all these fancy studios in this real estate and this Manhattan studio and this LA studio and all these, you know, super expensive on-air talent and these big cameras when you could, you know, people are carrying around cameras on their phone and we're using the cameras on our computer. And they're getting less views than, say, the Midas Network, which is, you know, Brett is behind the scenes producing this podcast right now. We're using a, you know, a dinky program to stream it through and our laptops. And people like this are dominating cable news. And mm-hmm. and the, the cost difference between what a Midas Network pays to put something on the screen or even just somebody in their basement, if they're compelling enough, versus all that other stuff that these cable networks have, these legacy networks has, it's just not even a fair fight anymore. And a lot of them just aren't adapting, you know? Well, and, and what's interesting is they're half, they're, 
they're like only half adapting and they're keeping all of the overhead, right? So right. like right now, you know, we're looking at each other over what is essentially Zoom. It's a different thing, but it's essentially Zoom. And I've got the same background behind me that I will have on that I that I had behind me the other day when I went on CNN on Memorial Day to talk about Veterans Community Project, right? right? It's it looks the only difference is I shaved for that. Okay. I don't know why. It's, it's probably the same amount of people saw it, but I shaved for that and I haven't shaved in three days and I look like a mess. <laughs> but but uh, but that's the only difference. Meanwhile, right. I'm talking to you and you're at your place and you're in your house. But right. when I did it on CNN, I'm talking to Jim Acosta who has 15 people around him and all this infrastructure that they're paying for, but they're getting the exact same product from me and from every other guest. And yeah, you're right. Like they're carrying a lot and they know it. They're carrying a lot of unnecessary overhead and they don't know what to do about it. Well, uh, it, you know, it would that's... be really interesting if all of a sudden they just were like, we're going to run this like a YouTube network. And they were just Honestly. like, every show is going to be, it's just going to be people from their home, you know, or if they came to the Midas guys and were like, hey, do you want to just, we'll give you an hour a day, just keep doing what you're doing, but we'll put it on, on CNN. Like, I'd be fascinated. Honestly, I bet that would work. Their distro would have worked really well. I mean, like, honestly, it's like it, you put Bill Simmons in charge of, of CNN, and I'm <laughs> sure you'll cut their costs. Uh, they'll do better. But, okay, I think I think that's it for Media Hour. Uh, we're going to take <laughs> yeah, a break, yeah. and when we come back, we're going to talk about some rather interesting politics of the House of Representatives. McCarthy seems like he's in a bit of trouble. We're going to talk about RFK Jr., who somehow is garnering 20% of the Democratic polling right now. So we're going to talk about how we can make sense of him. And then we're going to talk about the border and how the right wing has noticeably gone silent about this panic at the border that they were sowing just about a month ago. All of that and more when we return. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I literally drink it every single day. Sometimes I drink it twice a day, and my routine is um, first thing in the morning before I have coffee or anything like that, I mix my AG1 with water and make sure that I get all my high-quality vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics for my gut health, adaptogens, and you get it in just one scoop of powder in water, and it tastes awesome. And sometimes later in the day, if I have like crazy workout or it's been a tough day, I have another scoop. And I love this. I've been using it for years, well before AG1 ever sponsored our podcast. And I can't think of anything else that gives you the same bang for your buck as AG1. So if you're looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG1 and get five free travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash majority. That's drinkag1.com slash majority and check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I think it's really important to invest in yourself and just make sure that you're getting the right kind of balance in life. And I know it's like getting, it can be really easy to get caught up in what everybody else needs from you. And it's hard to just take a moment to think about yourself and what you need. But when you spend all that time giving to other people and to other causes, it can sometimes feel like you're feeling stretched thin or burnt out. And therapy can give you the tools that you need to help find that balance. And so to ensure that you can keep supporting others while ensuring that you get what you need. You know, it's the metaphorical oxygen mask, right? You got to put your mask on before you help anybody else around you put that mask on. I find this critical. Like, I find it really important to talk to somebody every single week just to make sure that I'm, you know, having the right kind of conversations to keep myself in balance. And I know a lot of you feel the same way. So if you're looking for a great place to find a licensed therapist, 
Go to BetterHelp. Give it a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You could just fill out a brief questionnaire, and you get matched with that licensed therapist, and you could switch therapists anytime without any additional charge. So to find more balance, get it with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com M54 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com M54. Well, Jason, just breaking news as we're coming out here. They just shut down LaGuardia Airport here in New York City, which is really crazy. Uh, and because I guess the visibility is so bad over here. Yeah, it's wild. That's what oh it looks gosh. like on the streets. Yeah. That's, that's nuts. Uh. Yeah. Well, what's that old crazy. Chinese proverb? May you live in interesting times. Yeah, it, just, it makes you appreciate, you know, the normal days, the blue skies, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, McCarthy, let's talk about him. So, a group of hardline Republicans essentially hijacked the House floor on Tuesday, and they ground business to a halt on a bunch of bills that they otherwise liked. And they took some procedural vote that it's been decades, I think 21 years since a similar procedural vote has failed in the House. And essentially, this was the Freedom Caucus and other associated loons who are shutting <laughs> down business as a way to send McCarthy a message. Uh, let's go to a video of Matt Gates talking about the justification for, for this maneuver. Yeah, today we took down the rule because we're frustrated at the way this place is operating. You know, we took a stand in January to end the era of the imperial speakership. We're concerned that the fundamental commitments that allowed Kevin McCarthy to uh, assume the speakership have been violated as a consequence of the debt limit deal. I, I mean, you talk. I don't. I don't. I. It just feels like people I don't like fighting with each other. But isn't that great, uh, though? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, exciting. As long as, it's, as long as it's not over the debt ceiling and shutting down stuff, like this is their right. own stuff. Like the stove bill, like who gives a shit? Like, like it's like a it's like a solution in search of a problem. Like as if they're mm -hmm. actually like I know that people are sending around. There was this city council bill in Santa Barbara or whatever. I'm making that up. I don't actually know if that's true. But like on gas stoves or something. Like I'm constantly. Mm -hmm. I have an inordinate amount of conservatives in my life who send me I told you so messages and usually you read them and there's like there's some proposal to do this thing that actually wouldn't do anything. And that's what this a bunch of this stuff was. I think what's notable about it is I, I've been conditioning our audience for about six months now that this is going to be the year of Republican on Republican infighting. We certainly have been seeing it in the primaries. That's how we open this. But it's also happening inside the House. And I think sometimes it could be really destructive, like on the debt ceiling front. Um, but other times, like their own flaws are starting to undo themselves, as it is in this case, which is like they have certain right-wing priorities that are just not going to get done because they all hate each other and because they've also allowed certain tumors to metastasize within their own caucus. And honestly, I'm getting out the popcorn for this. <laughs> it's it's Yeah, I mean, I think... To me, it just makes me think about how grievance politics works, because if, if your entire political identity is about grievance, it's about complaining and being against something, well, then when your party gets power, the people in power have to become part of the establishment because you've got to have a grievance against them now, right? right? And so after a while, you just sort of whittle down your audience. I mean, if you're Matt Gates, like you just, it's like, your audience has to keep getting smaller and smaller because your grievances have to become wider and wider and closer and closer to home. And it reminds me of, there was at one point uh, a few years ago, there was a, a pretty decent dude uh, who had been the auditor, uh, a city auditor in Kansas City. 
um, and, uh, you know, decent, well-intentioned guy who ran for mayor and he ran this sort of insurgent campaign and he won. Um, and this was 2003, I think. And, and it was like, everybody was amazed that he, or maybe it was 2007, I guess. And everybody was amazed that he had won, uh, and he took over, but he had, as he had, as auditor, he had had all these years of like pointing out the flaws and things. And then his whole campaign had been like, that had been his campaign. His campaign was like, here's what they are doing wrong. Here's, here's, and all that. And everybody got behind that. And then as mayor, he, his rhetoric didn't change. His rhetoric was still like, here's what they're doing wrong. And everybody was like, but you are they now. Right. Like you're in charge now. And so at some point, grievance politics, which is really mainstream Republican politics now, it, it runs into the problem of now you've got to govern something. And if you're going to continue to air your grievances, you're, you're just running out of people to fight. I mean, the most frustrating example of this is Trump and Trump supporters around almost anything that happened in his administration. Fauci, his own public health official, mm-hmm. the FBI, right? Right. 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 The, the fact ser- that there was a vaccine, yeah, there's like, all you know, these- which Trump wanted to take credit for, and now like he can't. And even this week, there's a ton of activity that we're not going to talk about in the show around going after the FBI and all this. And I just continue to remind people, I've been in a lot of debates like this. I'm like, whose FBI director was that? I'm sorry. Like, this is the, they were also complaining about the guy that they had fired Comey to, you know, it's like he fired Comey and saw another guy. This guy is biased. Now, you know, Barr's calling out Trump in certain ways and they're saying he's biased. This is the same guy that Trump appointed, like, it's like handpicked um, you know, uh, um, attorney general. So it's, it's just amazing. You know, Trump, like, unfortunately has been successful at least convincing his base, probably, you know, thankfully not enough independence, but his base that somehow his own government was his opposition. Right. Well, okay. Let's talk about RFK Jr. Now I know a lot of people don't want to talk about this guy, but he is getting about 20% of the vote in public opinion polls and he's doing a right wing tour. He recently appeared with, uh, Elon Musk in a Twitter Spaces conversation, very similar to the Ron DeSantis conversation, and really sad for me, Jason. Kelly Slater, the world's greatest surfer, professional surfer, essentially the Tom Brady of surfing, uh, participated in this conversation because oh, I hadn't really been watching this, but RFK Jr. is a noted uh, vaccine de- denier, skeptic, well before COVID, and says a bunch of crazy things about vaccines. And he's got like a big Hollywood like entertainment following of some of the kooks who like are super like out of their mind on this stuff, like even well before COVID stuff. And apparently with Kelly Slater, who I have immense respect for, is like, I guess, endorsing RFK or at least appeared in this this uh, town hall. And Jack Dorsey endorsed RFK Jr. Just goes Wait, to what? show you. Yeah. Yeah. I so, didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. I didn't yeah. see that. That's uh yeah, well, the thing that got me from it was <laughs> I saw a clip where he was talking about guns and he gave an answer that was like, "Look, I don't want to take anybody's guns and all that." And they asked him about gun violence and I thought, "Man, that just like your family's been pretty touched by gun violence." You know, <laughs> like it, but it was yeah. just interesting to see this like insurgent candidate who's like coming from a very different perspective, just sounding like any other politician on guns because he realizes, oh, wait, I need a bunch of these voters. So, like, nobody's yeah, I mean, above just his, being a politician. In his defense, that family's so cursed that, honestly, if we got rid of every 
every object <laughs> capable of lethal force, there would be a tricycle accident or something, and then we'd lose some Kennedy. So if I were him, I would just change my name and hide in a cave somewhere. But to, <laughs> <laughs> no, offense to, no offense to the Kennedys. I've done some work with some of them. Uh, but yeah, Me too. But, but, I'll, I, I never met RFK, but I like all the other Kennedys I've, I've worked What's with. crazy is he looks so much like his father, so it's just mm-hmm. so bizarre to see the crazy things coming out of his mouth. Um I just I do think can, that can, the you know what I can, what I will say about this is that like this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, like he his family ha- has gone through a lot of trauma, and particularly him at a very young age. And uh, and so I've I'm not saying vote for the guy, but when I think about how he arrives at this, like he's a very is this your endorsement? Can, you can get it out. No, <laughs> no. I just thought about like how does somebody get to this place, and it's like you know. I could see how JFK's nephew and RFK's son looks at the world and sees a lot of conspiracies. You know, like I could see how that develops as, as a pathology. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It reminds me of, I was at a wedding this weekend in Nashville and I was in this conversation, won't say exactly who, but it was a person very close to the bride and this woman who I've known uh, for a long time and know to be a, a fairly right-wing person and Trump supporter, but somebody who I'm, I have a strong enough personal connection with. I was talking to her for a while and she was telling me all about her COVID experience. And she was mm-hmm. saying, hey, um, she's basically had long COVID for a year. And she was like saying that she, she it's taken her a long time to forgive the government was the language she was using. And so I hear this and I'm like, well, if I normally hear that, I'm thinking, well, okay, this person didn't think the government did enough to mm-hmm. stop the spread of COVID, yada, yada. But I was like, I bet that's not what she thinks. <laughs> so I started asking her questions and she was like, well, okay. Um, it had all about like the vaccine and forcing people to take the vaccine and all that. She did not take the vaccine. Now, I think this was a, and, and I was with another person, my friend Kate, who like, I could tell it was like, ugh, I don't have time for this. <laughs> and I just had this experiment where I was just like, let me be as kind as I possibly can to this person and see if I can get them to crack. And I just spent 45 minutes with her just being like, all right, look, like most of us like don't know what's going on with anybody else. I didn't know that story about you. And I was saying to her, which is the truth for me, which is when I see people mm-hmm. with masks, and I, I've been pretty like you know, I'm not like on the far end of people who've like been a supporter of lockdowns or anything like that, but I have, I think I've been fairly stock and trade for most of COVID uh, in terms of like supporting public health measures. But I have a reaction when I see somebody today, not in New York today, because everybody's wearing masks today, but on a normal day in, in New York, walking down the street wearing a mask, I have an yeah, instinctual, like outdoors. Yeah, I have an instinctual yeah. negative reaction to it being like, mm-hmm. you're not past this or now. But I was saying to her, which is my genuine feeling, I had the, the thought the other day, I'm like, well, what is it my business whether somebody has a mask on or not? It doesn't do anything for me or the other. And I don't know who that per- what's going on with that person. That person could have, you know, could have a, a, a pre-existing condition. That person could have a lot of people who are close to them who died. They could just also have a lot of anxiety or they could also just read the science differently than I am. And I don't want to be arrogant about that because that science has changed a lot. And when I said this to her, she actually agreed. I was like, okay, like we're getting somewhere. Hmm. And it gave me a little bit of hope that this vaccine mm. and COVID stuff, like it's just the temperature is is decreasing every day a little bit. And I think these vaccine, uh, these folks with these these wild theories of the vaccines, I just am not bullish on their chances of doing too much damage. Now, if he was an independent candidate. Yeah, then I think 
then we're, we sure. should be worried a little bit. I think in a Democratic mm-hmm. primary, I'm not too concerned right now. Yeah, and as long as there's not a threat of him becoming an independent candidate. Right, um, yeah, which I, I don't think there is at the moment, but we'll have to look at that. Some of our listeners may know. Okay, well, let's take a break. Um, we're going to hear from one more of our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about the border crisis and give you a little bit of a what's actually happening type segment. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some weird mind voodoo from your wacky neighbor or some sketchy message board. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume, and they look at the problem in a different way. Not everything in a bad habit is wrong, so instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of electronics, fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses all natural delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing and anxiety while breaking your habit. Join fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use code MAJORITY to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code MAJORITY to save an additional 10% off your order today. All right, Jason. Well, I've done a lot of work on this on the um, Lost Debate front and the branch. We have a Spanish language show and we've had some people go down to the border and all that. And as the this Title 42 stuff was going down, the right wing was just plastering stories about how this is going to be the biggest increase in people crossing the border ever and Biden's week on immigra- the illegal immigration and yada, 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 yada. A lot of just fear mongering, a lot of super insensitive co- uh, you know, coverage, but also a lot of just like spinning to make Biden look like he was incompetent and out of control. And what's notable is since Biden lifted Title 42, things have been fine. Actually, you're seeing a net decrease mm-hmm. at the border. Um, and it's, it looks like unlawful border crossings have plummeted by more than 70% since Biden lifted Title 42. So I just want to make sure our listeners don't lose sight of this because I think often we react to right-wing coverage when, they, when they're covering something and then we try to beat back while it's happening. But then when the crazy stuff that they say is going to happen doesn't happen. We just kind of move on because like, all right, well, we avoided that disaster. But like, it's important to note, mm-hmm. this was a really important policy change. Uh, and it's controversial in many ways, but it's an important, important policy change that Biden, once again, if you're notching victories for him, it's still very early to tell. But at least in the early goings, he appears to have handled a crisis really well. It's important to revisit it because we know that every October, uh, every other October, rather, they're going to talk about immigration, right? Because every time we have an election coming up, they're going to say that there's a surge. They're going to talk. They're going to make up the idea of caravans and uh, all this stuff. And there's zombies at the southern border or whatever they come up with. Um, and I, I suppose this next time there, this will be a talking point. You know, he lifted Title 42 and then and, uh, and it hasn't happened. And we're probably going to have to keep saying that over and over again. Yeah, and I, I did a segment on this um, for a different show, and essentially what I was saying back then was, and, and our, our Spanish language reporter in-house uh, agreed with me on this, is that if you looked into the fine details of this, Title 42 and what they replaced it with, 
what they replaced it with is actually more stringent, which is actually why some people on the left didn't like what Biden did. Mm -hmm. And so all this coverage, it just goes to show you like a lot of people, like things get lost in the details. Like under Title 42, basically you could cross the border, you get apprehended, they send you across the border and you could keep trying without penalty. Whereas under the new policy, people get arrested, they actually get detained and then get tried and then they get processed and then they can't come back. Uh, and that is different. And a lot of people were speculating that, well, maybe that would actually lead to a net decrease. Now, there are some people who don't like the new policy uh, for really good reasons, but it wasn't what the right was saying. Um yeah, and I think the other thing is saying is like I think we need more people in this country. Like, <laughs> right. like still, like, like all of that aside, I think we need to fix our immigration system. What Biden did was a uh, a solution to a surge, like a disorganized surge. But what we need is bipartisan immigration reform, or just immigration reform, which at the moment would require bipartisan measures. And I'm hoping I'm not crossing my fingers, but I'm hoping <laughs> something happens at some point in the next couple of years to at least allow us to to open up to the people who our country really needs right now. Like we have a historically low unemployment. Well, I'm sure Speaker Matt Gates is going to lead the way and get this done. Yeah, he sounds like uh -huh. the kind of guy who'd be sen <laughs> yeah. a sensible partner on this kind of stuff. Well, okay, um, let's do a quick grab, grab an oar. Um, I mentioned this, uh, I think last week or the week before, but um, if you're interested, some people took me up on this. Thank you for some of our listeners for reaching out to me. But um, I'm working on this India project through um, my C3 uh, with Ben Rhodes, um, former Obama administration official, about basically trying to protect the rule of law and democracy in India at a time where it is under attack more than ever. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about to help out with that project, just shoot me a, a DM on Instagram or Twitter, or you could email me at ravi, R-A-V-I, at thebranchmedia.org. Uh, and if you're in New York next week, I'm having an event on Wednesday with the folks over at Crooked Media to announce um, what, like the first stage of this partnership and about how you can get involved. So if you email me also, I can give you the details of that if you want to stop by. And if you've never met me in person and you have any interest in seeing that I'm actually a lot taller than I seem uh, over the screen, um, which is actually not true. So don't get disappointed. I was going to say, how tall yeah. do you think you seem over the screen? I'm not saying you're short, but like a lot taller. Like, no, I'm just- How, how tall do you think you seem? I was pretending. I was trying to think of like, what's something people say to somebody yeah. that they only see digitally? It's so like, oh, you're a lot taller than I expected. I think people actually have the opposite impression of me. It's the only possible way it could go. It'd be like, oh, actually you're way shorter than- <laughs> But all right, enough of that. Uh, but shoot me a note, Ravi at thebranchmedia.org or DM me on one of those things. I'm better at Instagram than Twitter, but I'll get to things eventually. And then, uh, yeah, if you're interested in any of those projects, let me know. All right, let's do one for us. What's new with you other than that? I had a great time in Nashville. I, I told you I was going I was going to go to um, Costa Rica, but I decided not to go. It's just mm. uh, just too much going on here. I'm enjoying this Brooklyn life, though. I walk down the street here and I just run into people I know. It's very neighborhoody type vibes. And a lot of Majority 54 listeners, actually, I get a lot of comments from people who listen to the show and actually shows you the, the range here. I was in Nashville having a conversation with a, a former school board member of mine, a good friend of mine, Elisa, if she's listening, shout out to her. And she was like, oh, I was just listening to the show. Like, and it was, I didn't even expect to see her. So she wasn't even just like listening to it. Oh, because she was like, I got to yeah, see yeah. Robbie. I don't want to mention it. So it just shows right. you the range of the audience here is like, we've got a pretty good reach of people all around the country. Um, and so always love seeing our listeners. So if you ever run into me in person, I'm not as famous as Jason, so I still appreciate when people come up to me. 
Well, I was going to ask, like, if uh, now that we do like the YouTube format too, like, do, do people come up and just recognize you more now? Mm, and, I don't know. And talk about Majority Fifty Four, or maybe they just you see know, you and I, they're like, "That guy seems too tall to be Robbie." I don't know. That's right. Yeah, it's too tall. Uh, <laughs> his hair is too good. Uh, yeah. No, know, I mean that would my hair has been great. Yeah. My hair has been yeah. great lately. Um, the uh, <laughs> you meaning to say something. Yeah, it's important. Honestly, <laughs> like. People who come up to me, they people come up to me on average more than the average person, but nothing like you. I've been with you before, and it's like like you, especially in Kansas City or in anything revolving around politics, is like I couldn't do what you do. Like you, you it's just, it's not as much as it used to be because now uh, I think. Well, first of all, I think a lot of people like in Kansas City, most people they've run across me at some point if they know me and they've already said hi. You know what I mean? But also, I think it's just you know it's it's far enough since i was running for office that i think i think i think what happens now is i think it i get recognized the same amount but people aren't and this is fine and don't carry the way people aren't as compelled to say hi like i think that it doesn't matter to them as much if they get the selfie or if they get to say they're like i think they might go home and be like hey i was at the grocery store i saw jason kander and their spouse goes oh wow and then that's it you know as opposed to like i gotta get a you know it's just kind of funny how that wanes over time and uh I, I I observe it more in an anthropological, interesting sort of way. Yeah, uh, well, you seem to, you seem to get energy from from interacting with people, which I, I do. I don't I don't have that quality as much. I think sometimes <laughs> I have it, but more often than not, it it's hard for me. So yeah. Well, uh, What's the going on update. With you? Well, the update for me is like in the last week. The big thing has been uh, that the family that uh, I started working two years ago to get out of Afghanistan that led to a lot of other people getting out as well, finally got, uh, you know, they've been in Albania. We got them out um, 20 months ago, and then they've been in Albania waiting. They finally got to the United States, got permission. They arrived here in Kansas City about a week ago, uh, and it was a very big, very cool reunion. They now live six minutes from our house. Diana is over at their place right now. We're very close with them. Um, We we've said we've just got 14 new family members my son now has a bunch of new like brothers and sisters whose english is limited but you know they still have fun playing together these kids and uh and the other day my buddy raheem it kind of felt surreal when uh you know true and i went to his baseball tournament and raheem and his son samim came with us it was like really one of their first outings in america and they they sat in the bleachers with my parents and and my wife and my daughter and they watched they watched true pitch and uh it was just really cool and uh, so that's and and if people want to see more about it the the last post i think in my like timeline on instagram is one that diana made about about all this and and sometime in the future uh, i'll probably turn this into a grab and or because i'll probably do something like a gofundme for them or something like that but right now i want to let we're going to focus on them getting settled in and uh, settled into into life in this place where they're going to live so for, that's incredible uh, it's home I, now, so i by the way i i haven't forgotten about the question you asked about schools and so i've asked i've sent some messages oh, around um i appreciate it it's a it's, it's a less kind of mature and robust market than a lot of other mm-hmm. cities uh, on the kind of stuff we were talking about. Yeah. So I'll get back to you on that. But that's awesome. I, I can't wait to meet him one day. Maybe we'll take You're going him. To. I'll, maybe I'll bring him to a Bills Chiefs game and indoctrinate him. <laughs> he doesn't know any better. 
I love it when somebody doesn't know. You think anybody. I'm not going to work on him? I already got him all sorts of Kansas City like uh, t shirts and stuff. Yeah, Look, you got he, no chance, man. Everything I know about him is that that is an underdog if I've ever seen one, and and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna play on that in my sales. That's space true. I could see him. I could see him identifying with the Bills for sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. Remember to subscribe to Majority Fifty Four wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority Fifty Four and please leave a five star review. Thank you to the Midas Mighty and remember. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.